The GovX show is supported by Forrester, helping government organisations perform at their best. Visit forrester.com to learn more. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of The GovX Show. I'm Tim Coulthard, Community Director here at GovX Digital. Delighted to say that joining me today for this episode is Rachel Nixon, who is Deputy Director for Digital Project Delivery at the Department for Transport. DFT has a very broad remit, as you might imagine, road, rail, sea, air. But increasingly, new issues are driving a new level of challenge and requiring new services to be delivered, sustainability, accessibility, new forms of transport even. Rachel's joining us to talk about how her digital team helps to meet that demand, how they create new services, but also bear in mind the needs of users so that nobody gets left behind. Fascinating conversation, so let's jump straight in now. So Rachel, welcome to the GovX show. Really great to have you joining us for the conversation today. Hi, thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting into hearing a bit about some of your work, a bit about the work that Department for Transport are doing. Incredibly diverse organisation with yeah. lots of, you know, activities, lots of stakeholders. And so with a, with a sort of mindset towards that customer experience, user design, that sort of thing. I, I imagine there's a, there are many strings to that bow. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that. So Let's set the scene first and just understand a bit about you and your role. So maybe you could just tell us a bit about, I guess, your the potted history of your career journey so far and then where you've got to today in terms of your role with DFT and, and where your key areas of focus are within that. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Tim. So um, I've been in, in government for 22 years. Uh, it's quite a, quite a scary thing to, to admit. Um, but I started off in actually frontline delivery. I took a job after university working for the Ministry of Agriculture and was helping farmers actually who'd uh, been affected by uh, animal disease controls and supporting them through what, what that meant. So I got a taste for actually what government needs and for, for the greater good actually can have some quite difficult impacts for people personally. And that kind of got me hooked into public service. Um, so did frontline delivery for a while and then moved into policy implementation and project management, like how to actually construct uh, these policies to help farmers and then what that meant practically on the ground to, to deliver them. Um, did that for about five years and then uh, had, had two children and came back uh, after maternity. Um, and the organisation I was in then was an arm's length body called the Animal and Plants Health Agency, and they were going through a really big business transformation. So kind of took that frontline experience, the project management, and started to work in larger program, business transformation programs, um, and did that for around five years. So there's all this has been five years, five years operational, five years projects, five years in program. And then for the last five years or so, um, really moved into doing some product ownership training um, and then working with agile teams. And that's kind of what I felt really fell in love with, which kind of brought everything together, really putting the user at the heart of what we were there to do in terms of getting the business outcome that the government or the policy team needed. Um, and yeah, that's you know, from there. I I was still in DEFRA, so I worked on DEFRA's EU exit services, 
which was incredibly challenging, but also really rewarding. Um, delivered an export service for animal goods and then moved to Department for Transport as um, Deputy Director for Digital Delivery in lockdown last November. Um, so I've been with Department for Transport for um, yeah 11 months now. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, the, the breadth of the breadth of things that the department does is kind of mind blowing. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's my potted history Great. to get me. Great. Yeah. And, and I'm really interested in drilling into some of that sort of breadth of, of what the, uh, the department does, because I think that that variety of stakeholders is, is interesting, particularly when you're kind of considering end user requirements, user centric mm -hmm. design you know cx and all that good stuff so i'm interested you, you as you say you've kind of worn each hat along the stage of the journey from sort of policy design all the way through to service design and then execution and you know working on the front line with the people with the end users mm. um it's often said and i wonder if you reflect on this that you know the organizations that minimize the gap between design and delivery in terms of literally whether it's the process or whether it's just the communication and the understanding that the people that are doing the design really, really understand how it plays out at the other end and that the people that are interacting with end users are feed, feeding that voice to the customer yeah. back in. Is that your experience as well? Yes, and it's, it's really in, interesting thinking about how we talk about things now and where things were. So I, I had my first taste of this 15, 16 years ago when I went from that role of, actually you know, doing the doing an arm's length body and then, then meeting the policy officials that actually kind of crafted the legislation uh, and used to go to London every week and talk to them. And I think, well, how, did, how does what we do on the ground and what I talk to farmers about relate to the kind of the words in the legislation or the words in the consultation document? And so we, we started to work really closely before it was called agile user-centered design, just really shortened that gap, actually met every, every week and I, as a, a, a project manager in, in, a, in an arm's length body, actually would help craft consultation documents right at the beginning of policy thinking. Um, not sometimes knowing the terms of what I was doing, but just knowing, actually, we want to speak to the people that know practically what it means for the ground. And this is what farmers are telling us and, and having that really short feedback loop. So I think it that's been throughout my career kind of by accident almost and so it's really lovely to end up here now when we have you know the whole craft of user-centered design but we're still seeing it I think the challenge or the exciting opportunity for me at the moment is not keeping it all in the digital kind of DDAP mm. space um, thinking about how particularly the user research um, folks that are coming through putting them like in a policy team, like as soon as a policy team think has a has a business problem to solve, that they really start to think about what that would mean for people on the on the ground, what, what would citizens or businesses really need in order to make that change or what problem they're trying to solve. And I think it is, it's about how we set up our teams um, and how we int really, int we've, we've grown digital teams, but how closely do we integrate them back into the depart like the core policy, parts of the department um, that's the really I think that's the really exciting next step for me and I think COVID has seen some great examples of that when we did the um, accelerated delivery talk back in May a lot of us were talking then about how because we've had to we just threw everybody together and it was like four people in a room a user researcher and a policy official a lawyer and an economist um, 
the kind of from the from crisis actually with some some really great working practices evolved yeah it's interesting and, and i remember anthony collard from hmrc saying yeah. the same thing it's like the, the people that ended up thrown in a room together as a sort of right let, we've got this problem we've just got to get on with it so it's policy folks law folks you know user-centric design folks yeah. maybe they wouldn't necessarily have interacted to the same degree or at the same point in the process but there they were and some really interesting outcomes derived as a result of that and I yeah. think we might come on to this but I think how how some of those changes and, and new ways of working are implemented in the future yeah. presents an opportunity potentially um so here you are, you know, you're at the Department for Transport, um, which, as we said at the beginning, you know, I, I, was, I was on the, the website earlier just thinking, well, what does the Department for Transport do? And then suddenly I think, gosh, yeah, oh, and that, and that, and that, yeah. and roads and rail and, you know, airlines. Yeah. And, and suddenly you think, goodness me, there's the diversity in terms of end users, whether, you know, you've got businesses on the one hand, road yeah. holders, and then you've got consumers on the other hand and, you know, private motorists whose needs and desires aren't necessarily the same thing and could be mutually exclusive in some way. So really sort of complex network of end users and stakeholders. So, and every, every public organization's kind of got its own requirements around good customer experience, good user-centric design thinking and that sort of thing. So at the Department for Transport, given that scenario, what, what does good look like in terms of that CX and that user-centric thinking? probably a horrible yeah. question but have it, a is. Well, it is a good it's a good question and yeah and often coming to these i've often got more questions than i've got, I've got answers well, it's a good thing it. yeah you know that nobody should be able to answer everything i guess oh know. i know yeah, okay. yeah. no no uh, no so it's all and i think for me the i suppose one one point would be that there is that you know, that breadth that breadth of deliver that breadth of delivery that that breadth of really diverse customers um, means that we have to really rely on our on our teams to actually get under the skin of, of their users so it's not necessarily a I, I can't I kind of don't feel we've got a departmental approach to what our, our, our user experience is we've got um, we've got a, like a service-led approach because the needs of you know We've got some great work going on our, our ALBs. That the needs of of, of, young, of, of young seventeen year old drivers applying for licences might be very different to a bus service operator doing with a COVID grant. So what would what what we rely on is each each service to really delve deep into their own um, into their own user communities and really get under the skin of, of what what it means to be you know a diverse set of users who, who require a particular service. Yeah, and we've got, there is literally, we've got e-scooters. I mean, e-scooters is a really interesting one to think about in terms of user experience, because we've got, you know, it's it's a great, e-scooters is a great policy outcome in terms of, you know, um, mobility um, and, and the, the kind of green, clean, clean agenda. Um, but from an accessibility point of view, there are really real challenges of, of um, people leaving them riding them on pavements um, for visually impaired so we've got to really think about how who we're trying to solve problems for but also um, perverse impacts um, what happens when things go wrong how, how do visually impaired people de deal with this kind of great great new toy that, that's around the place so um, it again it's not that the department has the view it's that we we really push it down to the service teams to really do really solid user research as broadly as possible with real users, not always going through the kind of traditional stakeholder challenge 
to really get to the heart of communities um, and conduct their research where you know, at the end point where it needs to be. Um, I don't even know if that answered the question. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, really, it's really just like, yeah, it's mind blowing how, how deep it is. And we, we just try and trust the, trust and push, push down to the teams uh, at the service levels to do that. I think on the, on the flip side of that, what's also interesting is then when you've got all those service teams doing all that individual research, what does that mean to the user that then potentially has lots of different separate in, interactions with government? And I think that's the, another big problem for, or opportunity for the next few years is if you've got particularly, say, a group like younger people who have many needs to interact with government in order to kind of move forward with their life choices, but they're working off a 3G you know, phone uh, with with limited data. How is that? How is that fair? How are we how are we kind of leveling up the opportunities there? So, trying to think about how many services we put online, how we put them online. If if there's a way to join up services in a different way, in a different way or a better way. So, yeah, lots 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 of challenges. Lots of yeah. challenges. Yeah, I mean. I'd been thinking in very conventional terms around, you know, road, rail, air transport. But then when you start to outline, you know, transport, you know, in in, in sort of broad concept of it is an area where there's a huge amount of technological change going, whether that's alternative fuels and energies, whether that's, yeah, you know, e-scooters. Eventually, when we're all in our flying automated cars, there'll be another there'll be another layer of challenge there. And I guess at DEFRA, I mean, sounds trite, but people, they weren't inventing new animals, were they? Whereas transport is moving on at this kind of incredible yeah, rate. And so I guess there's another layer of complexity there, isn't it? Which is what's what's the future and what's coming down the tracks, if you pardon the pun. So I think I th- just going back to the road, ra- road, rail, air point, it is re- it's really interesting. So we've... Um, that's how the department is structured uh, in terms of its policy sectors. It's you know there there is roads and, and rail and air and maritime and security. Uh, but interestingly, what we're doing as a department is creating um, these more cross-cutting themes. So in terms of our outcome delivery plan, it's not around a plan for road, a plan for rail. It's around growing and leveling up the economy, uh, decarbonisation, improving transport for the user. So as a in terms of although we may be structured or, or sort of funded in the kind of verticals, actually it's really exciting at the moment. The department's really doing this kind of horizontal view about what it's like, what this country needs to connect you know, people to places uh, and how they use road, rail and air or alternative or you know, new alternatives to deliver real outcomes that actually kind of moves the country forward through transport. Um, and again, you know, the, I think the, the biggest uh, kind of focus, new focus area will be particularly, well, what I'm seeing from the things going through to my digital teams are around um, electrical vehicles. Um, there's kind of, I don't know whether it is perhaps maybe related to some of the recent um, fuel fuel concerns um, there's but there's been a huge um, set of interest from consumers around um, electrical electrical vehicles so some of the services that we can do to provide say grants for home charging there's been an uptake uh, in interest for those so that's one of the new areas of digital delivery that we're just starting to look at now is how to help 
uh, make it mind kind of more affordable for people um, to get access to those kind of cleaner, greener modes of transport. But it's, yeah, it's it's just the it just astounds me every day like the breadth of things that yeah. we get to talk about. Uh, it's mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start starting to drill into a bit about the, some of that work that you're talking about there. Um, obviously, you you have the digital remit and as you rightly say digital isn't the answer to everything but it's a very mm. useful tool and a very useful yeah. you know area in which to enhance and explore new opportunities for delivery and so on but what are what are some of those maybe standout projects that you've seen um executed you know since you've been there but maybe you know obviously legacy projects as well where you feel like there's been a real kind of like leap forward in terms yeah. of that quality of outcome for your users so i think in terms of real real change i'll i will use um i will use one from from my death days just because i think to get that real kind of real step change it often is something that's been you know done over a couple a couple of years and it's really you know, i've kind of been on the journey with them so um when i was working in defra uh we worked for probably around two and a half years to develop an, a new service for it was called export health certificates um, this was about in, in readiness for, for leaving the EU. Um, we would have to support a new way of um, getting kind of food or animals out the country. Get who, whoever used to talk about getting food around the place. Uh, everybody kind of talks about it now. Yeah. Um, uh, but this is something definitely you know have been planning for, and this was about kind of keeping the economy moving and goods flowing in and out. Um, and I, I worked, you know with a, a really a really great team to build an, a, a, an online service before before we came along it was a telephone call and 1600 pdf pieces of paper um that you somehow knew you needed to use phoned one got the email sent in um, it was an incredibly um disjointed um, service that um, wouldn't cope with the scale if that was needed uh, once people left the EU. So we worked with export companies, with official vets who have to certify these goods, and we built uh, a, a front-end digital service. We built a form builder product so we could create new certificates really quickly. Um, and we also built um, like a case management service that the operational teams used. So it was real kind of digital transformation um that that took place in readiness for e for EU exit um it was incredibly difficult incredibly challenging and quite complex i always had the faith that we would build something functional that it would that it would work it would do the job it needed to do um and i remember our first user a lady called joanna and i remember the first day we pushed it into private beta and our team were there sitting with her at the office, like pressing the button. In real time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was incredibly exciting. Uh, and Joanna worked in an export company, relatively small export company. Um, she lives in our product every day. Uh, before we built our service, her life was full of, you know, her, her desk was full of bits of paper, phone calls, her own spreadsheets that she'd built. Yeah. It her hot like you know, five days a week dealing with this kind of, this kind of paperwork. Um, and she really helped us through private beta. We, we, we tweaked some of our dashboards uh, based, on, based on her, her feedback uh, and others in the private beta. 
And then one of our user researchers went out and re recorded some videos with her again, talking about her interactions and how the service had, had evolved. Uh, always, you know, she always got new ideas for it, but what really came across is the way she talked about a sense of calm that had brought to her life. Like our service had actually given her the tools she needed to do her job. It made, it made her daily life calm. Uh, she had less stress. And actually the, the video was made during COVID and because it was on online, she'd actually been able to work from home for the first time. And actually the business was able to continue because she was able to work from home. So uh, you know, I found it incredibly moving. I never, I always thought it would work. I never really imagined that I would be involved with a team that would actually you know, make somebody's life better. Her quality of her working day was better because of a service that, that we built for her. And she's just one person. So you know, my, yeah, you know, I'll, never, I'll never forget Joanna, but I think that, you know, and that, that was a business to business kind of service as well. But yeah, to me, it shows that we can actually make really good user experiences. We can build things that make, make a difference. Um, and it was, yeah, it was kind of like a real highlight for me. I was really proud and kind of humbled uh, to have had that type of impact. Um, and that's and that's what I'm trying to repeat now. Uh, that, yeah. That's really, that's what I'm trying to repeat. In, yeah. in it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the feedback loop, we think about it in terms of it being a practical tool in the process to enhance design and to iterate and so on. But it's not so often we say, actually, it's also just a good thing to feel that you're helping yeah. people and to be reminded of that as opposed to, well, we changed X, Y, and Z pieces of functionality because of the feedback. Actually, sometimes that, that level of motivation and that level of sort of empathy and understanding of your end users, and this is why we do it. It's nice to have that feeling and just to be reminded what essentially what public service is about. What, what it's about, yeah. yeah. To... to because yeah, because yeah, it can just become a bit kind of strapline, can't it? Oh, you know, we're here to make a difference in people's lives. Like it trips off the tongue far too easily. Yeah. Um, and I've never, not in my digital deliveries, I, I've never felt it before. I've never, it wasn't me saying, you know, oh my, it was actually I felt like, wow, we actually did that. Like the way we, the way we we, we built the thing, that our relationship with with her and speaking to her taking her feedback she sees she sees that we've changed it and actually the actual the service stands on its own two feet and it works and it supports her and it makes her life easy I'd like and it's coming from her it's not us kind of kind of claiming it it's yeah. actually coming from her so yeah that was that was really really I was thinking about you know, the company we all kind of go to our nice show and tells um and have these kind of experiences and I think one thing um, which we're trying to do now, and I haven't got it working just yet, is to really push push on with, have got a bin bonnet about things working on mobile really well now. So for Joanna, it's a, it was a business service, and actually she did have a, you know, she did have a laptop, and it, it's fine, fine. But I think sometimes when we're thinking about our feedback, if are we actually watching what it's like? How does it render on a, on, a, on, a, on a mobile phone, on a contract, on, on 3G, on a small phone? And really, that's how we were showing our products because everything looks quite nice on a laptop. Yes. But actually, 
the user experience so you're thinking if, if you've got a demographic that's actually mobile based and are you looking at your analytics to see where are our users actually um, accessing our service and if over you know i've looked at some of ours in dft and some of them are 75 percent mobile so actually should when i'm looking at teams doing show and tells around the you know the sprint reviews should we look at them on mobile because that's that's how the service is consumed yeah um and i haven't quite got there yet i don't know how to do it with the filming but that's what that's that kind of be my new yeah. kind of prod to yeah to you have to establish that that denominator i mean yeah it's a different feel but you know i've spent a lot of my career working in sort of magazines and content and not, the amount of times you say to a graphic designer everything looks good on your enormous imax yeah. screen. it's beautiful yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful but when it's in print or when it's on a flyer or when it's yeah. on somebody's very small, you know, 10 year old laptop, the experience may not be the same. And it's, it's all about user centric thinking, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't matter yeah. what the discipline, doesn't matter what the industry, what the sector is. It's, it's about that. And just saying, well, okay, yes, there's a, there's a generation of incredibly digitally literate people with high levels of accessibility, yeah. high levels of understanding, but we can't develop this ton of two or three or four speed level of public service where, bunch of people get left behind because a bunch of digitally minded service designers have got very excited in their in their sort of development work I, I, re, I, I really agree because we had a chat with um one of the things the roundtree foundation and they gave some really stark data around the number of adults in this country that still don't have really good access to the internet or regular access to the internet and we're talking millions i think mm. I think it's around like around the five million mark and sometimes these are the people in most need you know yeah. either in crisis or in most need mm. of a range of government services and i just think how daunting it must be to try and manage all of that on a phone potentially dealing with you know tens and tens and tens of services not one or two but you know each department's probably got you know nearly 100 services online now and I think it's going to be so interesting as we think about what single sign-on means uh, in terms of the new digital single sign-on, how we can then start to connect what we know about people um, and if there is anything we can do to try and reduce some of the burden. I think you know, going back to my very early career, when we were building out paper services, there used to be an actual thing called the admin burden. You had to kind of quantify the admin burden that you placed when you asked somebody to fill in a form. And I feel like we may have lost our way there uh, in terms of actually every time we're asking people to put you know, put a little bit of data in a thing and press submit, you know, do what, what, are, what are we doing with that data? That was their time, not ours. Did, you know, did, did we deserve that? Uh, did we really need that? Because it feels like sometimes we're collecting data well, I think we know when I've used all the services, I think I know you're collecting this data because you need this. You don't actually need this data for what I, yeah, I need to not do. Not to execute service. whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think this, 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 there's so much in terms of the, the next steps for digital um, in terms of how we keep inclusivity uh, at the heart of what we're doing. So, like you said, so we don't leave anyone behind. Yeah, absolutely. And, and looking further ahead now, we've obviously... Um, 
you're going to be joining us next month. Yeah, it is next month. Yeah, for, for the Citizen Experience Show. Yeah. Obviously, this this is a fantastic opportunity for, for us to sort of bring together lots of voices working across public sector organisations, you know, from central government departments to associated agencies around the UK to really understand sort of where we're at in terms of that CX piece and that user-centred design piece. So what are you looking forward to sort of sharing in terms of that conversation? Um, guess, you know, key learnings from you and then flip side of that is what, what are you looking to hear and learn from your peers around what they're doing in this space? Well, I feel really lucky because I'm, I'm coming to listen and talk to on the design side. I've actually got my delivery head on. So I am going to be really listening. I think it's going to be really exciting to hear what others are doing in this space. And I think in terms of what I want to talk about, it's probably some of the things we've just been, been mentioning is I feel like we've got quite good grasp in terms of uh, inclusivity, in terms of accessibility uh, for some of the um, kind of visual impairments or, um, or epilepsy. Like there's, there's, there's quite a lot of technical focus on what um, accessibility means for, um, for disability. But I think for me, the kind of where I'm at now is thinking about this inclusion about how the very fact that we have um, digital online so so pervasive now in terms of government delivery, what it means if you do not have access. It's not that you, you know, just, unw- I used to use a horrible phrase. I used to say like, can't use, won't use. And, and oh, what we do with people that can't use, won't use. And it was really, I, was, I feel really embarrassed now. I was so dismissive of actually, you know, not everybody has a job like like mine where I've got you know I've got a laptop and it, it's a completely different different mindset. And I think about you know, the, the journey my kids are going to go on if they've just got you know a little little phone because they don't live a life on a laptop. So to me, it is about really thinking about the inclusivity from a socioeconomic point of view. What is the data burden that we are placing on citizens by getting them to transact online? And as we grow digital, how do we grow so that it really is open to everybody when they need it, particularly, you know, people like maybe in, in crisis, if they've lost, lost a job, I'm, sh- I'm sure you go through experiences where you are then forced online and how do we better support you in the most inclusive way? And I think I'm just really interested to see what other departments are doing and if there's opportunities for us to always are we all trying to solve this problem ourselves? So what is everybody else is thinking? Are they further on in their journey? Have they matured that some of these practices? And I'm also interested if anyone's able to, to measure some of this data burden that we're placing on people to see if there's anything that we can be doing to, to lessen that. Because um, it's something I want to do at DFT to understand the data burden we, we place on, on citizens. So very keen to see if anyone else has moved, moved forward with that. But yeah, I feel a bit bit of a cheat being there because I've not I'm not pure CX UX but I'm just re- it re- it's at the heart of, of our delivery so that's what yeah. I kind of, kind of yeah I mean I think I've heard it said before that the, if as an organization you you place the CX burden on the people with CX in their job title you're going to go somewhere wrong yeah. quickly because it's I mean, it's a, it's a truism, but it's everybody's responsibility if, if, if any part of the of the process from policy through to design through to delivery doesn't have the customer in mind then it, it's going to fall over at some point so i think it's that's why we have that diverse you know group of people coming yeah. into the show is that we want to get all those perspectives and in a way it keeps everybody honest doesn't it it's not just a bunch of cx specialists talking to each other it's about the people at the policy level it's about people at the delivery level saying 
well, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And, mm-hmm. and that rounded conversation, I think, is really important to make sure that everybody's kept true and everybody's got that, that you know, that, that big picture in mind. Um, and a spirit of healthy challenge is is good for, yeah. for outcomes, I think. So yeah, yeah, because it is because there is there's always trade off. So I'm, I'm I'm sitting here with all this passion to do the right thing, but yeah, there's always yeah, there's always a time cost cost uh, element to it. But it's about taking all of those all of those insights and doing the best that you can with with, with what you know in the time that you've got to do it and having like a, a path through it and um, yeah the yeah the the, use, the UX and UCD folks as a professional are always incredibly passionate um and sometimes there is a tension between what 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 can be done but that's not to say that you don't want to know it's just that you need, you need to know then you can make some really informed choices um yeah, better to know. Better yeah, to know. absolutely. Well, Rachel, we're really looking forward to hosting you. Um, it's going to be a great event. Um, so yeah, looking forward to it. really looking forward to it. Uh, in the meantime, it's it's been really good to delve into some of your work, both DEFRA and, and DFT today. So all it remains to say is just say thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a real great conversation. Learned lots. So thank you. Cool. No, thank you. Nice to see you, Tim. See you in a few weeks. So there we have it. Thank you again to Rachel for joining me for this episode. Really interesting to hear how DFT is putting diverse stakeholders at the heart of its thinking, how those user needs, disparate as they are, are being accounted for in service design and delivery, and that CX piece. As we mentioned in the conversation, Rachel's joining us at the Citizen Experience Show coming up in November. She'll be joining the session on Inclusive by Design. That's a session where accessibility, inclusion, different user needs will all be brought to the fore as different public sector organisations outline their approach to those challenges. That one runs on the 17th of November at 11.30am. Good news is, as always, it's free to register for public sector executives. I'll put a link in the show notes attached to this episode so you can click, sign up and join us for that conversation. That's it for this episode, but we'll be along soon with another conversation with a public sector change maker. But until then, goodbye.